0: My next guest approached me to be part of the ethical evolution and share her story of her quest to change gender parity globally, allowing for diversity in leadership in the workplace and in government. By making that collective change, the world can truly change as we are all responsible for making our contribution by noticing where it's needed. Susan Sloan is the author of A Seat at the Table, Women, Diplomacy and Lessons for the World. She works for a global non-profit advocacy organization in Washington, D.C., engaging with diplomats, government officials, community organizers, and international leaders. I'm truly grateful for connecting with Susan, and know that we need to spread her message as far and wide as possible. Welcome, Susan, to the Ethical Evolution. Thanks for having me, Bendy. It's great to be here. Now uh, we were just chatting um, off air, and uh, you're come. You're normally based in uh, Washington DC, but you're coming to us uh, from Atlanta, Georgia uh, today. Um, can you tell us um, about your background and what you do? Sure. Well, I I work in Washington DC. I've
1: been there since 2012. I focus on diplomacy, where I work for a global non-government organization advocating on behalf of different people Mm -hmm. with diplomats, interfaith leaders and government officials. And through that work and through diplomacy, it led me to writing a book uh, about women in diplomacy. Great. Um, So, so tell us about the book. Well, the book was published in April, 2019. I am in a virtual COVID book tour right now. So it's a little bit different than what I had anticipated, but the book is called a seat at the table, women, diplomacy and lessons for the world. And I began a journey of interviewing women leaders, diplomats, ambassadors, foreign ministers, and government officials about their seat at the table, the challenges that they face getting there and also ways governments and foreign ministries have provided policies to enact gender parity, to have an increased amount of women at the table in leadership and in all places of their workforce. And so really it became a book more about gender parity and equity and equality than anything else. Uh, But it was such an honor to be able to sit down with these women leaders, whether in person or over their phone and hear their stories and to
0: give their stories a platform to share with the world. Wow, you must have got so many insights from those interviews.
1: Oh, completely. They were my treasure trove, <laughs> yeah. my personal
0: mentors almost, yes. Um, so um, are you seeing a change um, in, you know, that, that parody and also seeing more women at the table?
1: it depends the country, Mm. to tell you the truth. Mm. Uh, And you're coming from Australia. And Mm. one of my favorite stories comes from an ambassador from Australia, who's currently the deputy chief of mission in Washington, D.C. Ambassador Katrina Cooper shared with me their women in leadership strategy, which the foreign ministry enacted. And what she found was that when she joined the foreign ministry, her incoming class of diplomats was about even between men and women. However, as she rose in the ranks of leadership, when she finally got to the upper echelon of leadership and she became the senior legal advisor, she looked around the leadership table and she was one of very few women. Mm. And then looking at manager, managers and supervisors, there were very few women as well. So she thought, oh, we got to change this. Mm. And she went to the secretary, the, the leader of the foreign ministry, and, and asked him, hey, do you see this? And he hadn't. And he said, oh, great. Well, how about you? how about you go around and you change a few things? And and she realized from talking with colleagues that really had to come from the top. Culture change has to come from the top. Mm. And so they hired an outside consultant. The outside consultant took a look at what was going on in the foreign ministry and they made significant recommendations that completely changed the foreign ministry and got them to a place of gender parity within leadership and management and also solutions that created a workplace That benefited both men and women. Mm. And I can share some of those things with you, but that's just one little story, uh, from Australia even. And Mm. so it depends the country. Uh, I would say the United States were a little bit behind other countries.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, even, you know, around how much women get paid in comparison to men, the the, the stats on that are shocking, aren't they? There's a huge disparity,
1: Mm. huge disparity. And I've actually been speaking with many different, uh, friends and contacts and colleagues about this, uh, if you don't have women in leadership positions creating policies that would help both men and women in addition to pay, then you're not going to see any change. And so there's an idea that you have to look at who's around those board meeting tables, uh, what's the split between men and women, also socioeconomic status, diversity, race, religion, all mm. of it, does it represent the populations that the company is representing or the government is representing? And if it's not then you're going to have decisions that only have one lens. And so there's this, I mean, theme that I heard throughout the book. If you're going to have a boardroom or leadership of the C-suite with only gray haired white men, Mm. you're going to get policies that don't look at other contingencies of the population. Mm. So looking at pay, oh my gosh, we're not going to to reach this this parity in pay if we don't have people making the decisions and the policies that allow – These opportunities to really happen. So we have to get women in leadership positions to create policies so people see a different lens.
0: Mm, Totally. And you know, it's interesting, I'm noticing, uh, because I also work uh, full-time in in the Queensland government, um, and I'm seeing a real change um, uh, in the authority that I work in. The entire C-suite is women, um mm, and wow. um there's a lot well we've got a, a premier who is a uh, female and um there's a lot more ministers um and and senior um government officials who are women um also um, you know, from that, that ethnicity um and equality, um, we're seeing a lot more awareness around that now, particularly around the Black Lives Matter movement. Um there's mm-hmm. that people's attitudes have changed. Um and even in the way we market things now, we, we we change our perspective of, you know, the images we use. Um so I think that's interesting. There there's definite change happening here. That's interesting you you mentioned the
1: images, mm. and that's something from the story from Australia that I learned. Mm. And part of their strategy, they looked at the government building, at the artwork that was displayed, and the conference room names. And what they found was that all the conference rooms were named after men or mm. flowers. Yep. Can you, I mean, can you believe that? And And I think back to all the times I've been to conferences in Washington, D.C., All the conference room names are either Washington, Jefferson, uh, or Cherry Blossom. They're never named after women. And so when you have a workforce going into a conference room that's never named after a woman, what what message are you sending? Mm. In addition to that, with the artwork and the photography, they wanted to make sure that they historically had representation of different Australians that helped in foreign policy, and they didn't want to diminish that. But they also wanted to show women that made differences in Australia's government and foreign Mm. policy. So when they couldn't find historical photography representing women, what they did was they kept historical photos. And then right next to them, they put contemporary photos of women in leadership to have both representations. And while many people may think, oh, that's such a little thing, an image is such a little thing. However, mm. it's not a little thing. When you have people walking through your doors, they have to be able to see themselves there. Yeah. They have to be able to see themselves there. And that's, I think, one of the one of the main things that companies aren't really looking at is what are people actually seeing when they walk through their doors?
0: Yeah, That can have a huge impact. Yeah. And I know, again, here in Queensland, they've actually mandated to have Indigenous art um, in a lot of the government buildings and actually name the meeting rooms after Indigenous words and names. So, so important yeah so important. yeah, so that is a big change. Um, now um if you were to put it in a nutshell, what would you say your mission is? Right now, my mission
1: is to educate and advocate for gender parity throughout all levels of society and the workforce. I believe that if we have a more of an equal mix of both men and women or however anyone identifies around the table, we will create better solutions for the world. We see issues through a different lens, each of us, and our backgrounds are so different and the way we solve problems are so different. And that's why we need this diversity of thought. Mm. And if we don't have diversity of thought, we're not gonna be able to tackle this next era of issues and challenges we're facing. I mean, look, we have huge issues of terrorism, Mm. migration, uh, technology, and now pandemics. Mm. And if you look at countries who are are doing better or faring better than other countries, they have a mixture of both men and women in leadership around the table confronting these issues. Mm. If you look at countries, and data is proving this right now, if you look at the countries that only have the male gender around the table confronting these issues, the countries are not doing well in the pandemic. They Mm. have higher death rates and they have higher coronavirus cases.
0: Wow. That's that's mind blowing, and you know I I was a bit blown away um, just just on that. Um, one of the few countries that has not really been touched by the the pandemic is Thailand. Um, mm-hmm. They've they've had I think one death. That's it. <laughs> it's been it's amazing. Yeah,
1: it's amazing. I'm curious their reporting. I will say that different countries the different reporting measures. Oh yeah. Uh, and I do think there will be some disparities in reporting. I know that that Russia's reported um, mm. certain numbers that uh, people are skeptical of, mm. um, but I think, think it's curious to know about which countries are doing better and why and the way mm. their societies are treating this pandemic. I also find that many different countries that uh, embrace cleanliness or embrace uh, almost this, individual way of dealing with issues that you take it upon yourself for Mm. your the betterment of society uh that they are faring better people who are wearing masks people are washing their hands uh and that those countries are doing better and also the leadership Mm. if the leadership is showing that they're doing it too then that also has a huge effect
0: that's right um now can you tell us about um you know some of the changes you've helped to make already through the work that you do
1: Yeah, well, so my work and my day job is a little bit different than the book work that I've done. And in my day job, I'm working in advocacy and diplomacy on particular issues uh, that are very, very different than what I do with a book. So with the book, I've really been able to look at these issues of gender equity and equality and parity through storytelling. And it's become not only a passion of mine, but almost this resolve inside of me That spreading these stories and sharing these messages, I believe the more people that listen to them and hear them, that they'll be able to change their own culture of where they work and where they live. Mm. And previously, I I worked in a position where I was focused on Holocaust education, Mm. and I was taking groups of different leaders to Poland, to the Czech Republic, to Hungary, and then to Israel. And we would have Holocaust survivors traveling with us. And we would sit in the barracks uh, in Auschwitz, uh, in Poland, and they would tell their testimony. They would tell their story of surviving the Holocaust. And each time I heard a survivor speak at the end, what they would say to the group was that this is now your story. This is what you need to carry. And you are now my storyteller. And you need to share this with everybody else. Mm. And so this idea came to me when I was writing this book That all these women that spoke with me, these women, amazing women leaders, each of them said to me when we interviewed that they had never shared a particular story before publicly. Mm. And that touched me. And I realized I have an obligation to share these stories because then they become other people's stories and then other people can start making changes and it's a ripple effect, right? Yeah. I can't do it alone. And so really to reach gender parity, it takes each of us, both men and women making these small changes. And over time it's going to have a huge effect on society. Mm,
0: Yeah. And I guess that's, that's the great alignment that we have is that, um, you know, this podcast is all about sharing those stories and, 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 you know, spreading that collective change. So, um, yeah, absolutely, completely, 100% on board with you there. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, you're a storyteller too. I think yeah. bringing the stories to light is, is so important And this idea of ethical change and what is ethics in each of the things that we're doing. Uh, and that comes out. And even the women I interviewed spoke about this idea of leadership with integrity and honesty and resilience and I believe that
0: has an ethical lens to it. Mm, Absolutely. Which gives me a great segue to my next question that I want to ask you, which is, can you define what being ethical means to you? I can. I can.
1: Being ethical means to me this semblance of, uh, we'll use integrity again, of integrity, uh, not only to yourself, but to others. And I believe that ethics is something that even when someone's not looking, Mm. that you're going to do and say the right thing. And it's not just when people are looking. And there's this idea, I think, in society and in the workplace and different cultures that when people are watching, yes, why wouldn't you be ethical? Why wouldn't you do the right Mm. thing? It's when people aren't watching. That's it. Are you going to do the right thing? Mm. And that should be something that's in each of us. And and most people, uh, you know, they find out that when no one's looking, they have this moral decision to make mm. and no one will know what they decide. And that's the power inside of you to make that ethical choice. And I think each of us hopefully rises to the occasion of that uh and I, I in the news, you know, we've seen so many people not, right? And and the different leaders of Enron and then the madoffs of the world, and and people make you know really unethical decisions mm. on a grand scale that affects so many people. Mm. And and we look at that and say, how could they do that? And it's this idea, I think, if you make one little decision that's not ethical, that's unethical, then you can make so many other little decisions and then keep adding up. Mm. So when a big decision comes, and you make it and it's unethical, that's how you did it. You started off chipping away at your own morality. And so I think for myself and for each of us, we play a part every day in making ethical choices, whether someone's looking or not.
0: Oh, I love that, chipping away at your um, morality. I love that. Um, you know, and it, it is. It's it's forming a habit as well, isn't it? Like um, being conscious of those choices that you make. Um, Mindfulness, yeah. right, exactly. Yeah, and it is a habit, so you know it, it's it's a, again like an exercise that you you practice, and um, it just becomes part of, of who you are. Um, wow, really love that. Um, so I'm interested to know what your future plans are. You you were saying you're uh, recording uh, an audio book and, and doing your pandemic uh, book tour at the moment. <laughs> um, what what else have you got um, ahead for you?
1: Well, so right now I've been working on getting the book and the message out there, uh, whether it be on podcasts, writing pieces for different uh, journals and magazines, and also speaking with different organizations. I'm still working full time mm-hmm. in the pandemic remotely right now, which many of us are. Yeah, and I'm with my family as well, and I I haven't lived with my family in years with my parents, who mm. are um, I would say of a different generation, and it's it's been so special to spend time with them. And so I don't know what the future holds right now. I wish that I had a crystal ball to say, Mm -hmm. you know what, I'll be writing another book in a year. But right now the world is so uncertain and I have to sit in that uncertainness. And I think many of us are feeling that way right now with the uncertainty. And so all I can do is keep trying every day, wake up, do my job, get the book message out there when I can and, and keep growing and, and also stay sane. And so right now my goal (laughs) is to stay sane because you know what? It is hard right now. And I think if I would say, Oh, everything's great. I'm going to write a new book really soon. I I would be lying. Um, and I, am not going to lie about that. Um, I would like to write more books in the future, but I want to see how this first one does and to get the message out there. Uh, and I do have other ideas of, of books in the future, but this story of gender parity was so important to me that I think it's going to take my focus uh, for a while to really get this book to be with people and the message to resonate. Because I hope governments and private sector companies read it because there's solutions that they could enact. And I think that we'd be in much better place with everything going on in the world if we start enacting these major solutions.
0: Yeah. Well, it. it- it has to start at the top, like you said, hey. Um, and, yeah, thank you for being so honest on that because I was expecting you to say, oh, I've got another book in the works. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, um, yeah, you know, I guess uh, at a time like this, particularly in America, you guys, um, it's hard for you to see beyond the, beyond the now right now um, given what's happening there. But, um, yeah, I, I hope uh, things do lift for you soon um, because, um, wow, well, I think um, – the stories that you've you've got to um, share are, are huge, and um, I hope that you reach the people that you need to. Um, now, um, if people want to find out more about um, your book uh, and and what you do, uh, where can they go? Sure. They can go to susanSloan.com,
1: S-U-S-A-N-S-L-O-A-N.com. My book is on Amazon. It's also at Barnes and Noble. And the audiobook will be available hopefully early fall in addition to the hardcover copy. But the paperback and the digital version are, are ready. Uh, and I'm also on Twitter at real Susan Sloan. Uh, I just started my Twitter account uh not too long ago. So Please follow me so you would <laughs> share these amazing articles with you of, of how to help your companies and your governments. Uh, and I'm sharing great resources on there, too. Uh, I realize that in the digital age, you have to be on multiple platforms, mm. as you know, Bindi. Yep. Uh, so it's really important. But I there is one thing I do want to share with each of you, just one little snippet, mm. that uh, if we all look at percentages, and I know people don't like to think about uh, quotas, but I will say for targets, if you're trying to create culture change within your organization, an ethical culture change, the split, the secret sauce is 40 percent men, 40 percent women, and 20 percent either. Mm. That 40, 40, 20 split split will get you significant culture change within your organization. So your leadership should look like that, your board should look like that, your managers should look like that, and if you create that level. Of gender parity within your organization, your organization will be more profitable and your workforce will be happier because people are going to come up with better solutions because more diversity of lenses will be in the
0: room to create them. Mm. And um, we'll have a chat offline, uh, but I'm just thinking of a few people I can connect you with um, that are really going to help you get that message out there um, that are actually in the States as well. Um, And, um, you know, A theme um, that I've spoken with them on is, you know, again, um, if we take away the layers here and we actually um, look at an organization and look at the people, not their outcomes or their tasks or whatever it is, that's where we get real success. So Mm -hmm. I think, um, yeah, I think there's some collaborations I can hook up for you there.
1: Oh, that'd be great. Mm. Yeah, I mean, one thing, one ambassador, the ambassador of Finland told me, she said, Susan, the best leadership lesson I've learned is listening. Mm. It is listening to others and then being able to take their ideas and make them happen. Mm. And that's what creates success. And you have to see people and you have to hear them. That's it. And I think each of us need to do that. And and so just as you mentioned, it's about those human connections. It's seeing people individually. It's empowering individuals. And the women that I spoke with for this book each shared that. And of that empowerment and encouraging others and how the, they were encouraged and they were empowered uh, early on in their career, which allowed them to rise in the ranks of leadership. And so there, there's multiple things we can do in, in all of our sectors, no matter what we're doing, mm. to empower others and encourage others to see them and to listen and then to hear them.
0: Yeah, because I mean, we all know and and have worked in organizations where you you've become a number or or a deliverable and not an actual human. And I think um the moment you connect with people as humans, that's where the magic source is.
1: Completely. A hundred percent. At the end of the day, we're each a human. Yes. <laughs> that's what it comes down to. And and we have human needs like anyone else and workplaces that are recognizing that and seeing that are doing much better mm. with how their workforce uh, is able to thrive, right? Even in this pandemic of how people are leading, are they seeing people as numbers to cut? Or are they trying to help their employees, make sure their mental health is stable, mm. make sure they have a paycheck, but making sure that they're okay? And and we're seeing now companies that are, are leading and companies that are not. And leadership plays a huge part in that, of, of making sure employees feel valued
0: and also that they're an individual within the collective being of the organization. So true. And I think the other thing as well is, is understanding that as, as that human, when they come to the office or connect uh, remotely, they got a whole world outside of that that they bring with uh, them. Yes. And yes. we've got to understand that.
1: Oh, at, absolutely, every leader I spoke with for this book mentioned that, that what made them strong as a leader is that they're able to have their personal life, whether it be with a family, a spouse, children, or their, their family from back home, friends, and also their professional life. And it made them strong to have both. And we need to recognize that. And employees that work for employers that have that balance, that work-life balance, Oh my gosh, it's so impactful. It's so impactful. And I actually there I mentioned this in the prologue of the book that Gen Z is more interested in work life balance mm. than any other thing when they're looking at a company. So, benefits, uh, resources, salary none of that matters to them. Their number one priority is work life balance. And so, we need to think about that and listen to that. Oh, yeah. And do something about
0: that. Yeah. And uh, the future generations as well. Like I, I see I see my nephew, who's like fourteen, and um I just see people like that and the you know, the the views that they've got of the world are so different to those of us that have been here a lot longer. Um, you know, they're actually conscious of mental health. They're conscious about their future. And, you know, at, at that age I would, never would have thought that way.
1: We were not having these conversations, I would say, even twenty years ago. No. Uh, something has shifted in our society and we are having conversations about mental health. We're having conversations about drug abuse uh, in a different way than ever before. And we need to collectively look At what people are saying hear them and then come up with solutions to really create a society that we work and live well in and I will say that America, we have a challenging time we are hard workers, we love to work, Uh, we are definitely behind uh, many other countries that have created systems for work life balance, Mm. and that's something that we can learn from. Uh, I do think in a a capitalist country where many things are financially driven, uh, we come with a different mindset. Mm. But what was it? I think it was in Time Magazine. Uh, Don't quote me on this. But a few years ago, there was a study about happiness and what it said. And maybe inflation changes this. However, at the time I read the article, it said if you make uh, $75,000, this is us dollars. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the level of happiness. Increasing that amount of money does not increase your happiness. Wow. And that's something really fascinating that financially, well, how much money you make, once you get to a certain level, no extra amount of money is actually going to increase your happiness. Mm. And that's something we need to think about as society. If that doesn't increase our happiness, then what does, And what we're finding, it's really these human connections, which I find really fascinating, especially in a time of pandemic when you Mm. can't have so many human connections that many people are suffering with depression and loneliness Mm. and sadness because we're not able to see people face-to-face as much as we used to
0: Mm. and
1: have those intimate connections. And so really, what is life made up of? It's made up of relationships. It's all about relationships. And I think our workforce is going to change. I think our own personal friendships are going to change Mm -hmm. from this. And we are going to have a time where we say, was it before the pandemic or after the pandemic, right?
0: Yeah. So I I call it BC before COVID. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's so great. I love it. Um, Yeah. Like, wow. I can so agree with you on that. And, um, you know, like I look at um, it's funny. I was actually watching Billions last night, you know, the, the TV yes, show Billions. I love that show. Yes. I was watching that last night and he, he'd reached the, the point of, you know, getting $10 billion and he wasn't right. happy. He realised he wasn't happy. He did all the things he thought he was meant to do and he wasn't happy. Spoiler alert, sure. guys, if you haven't watched it. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, like there's so many entrepreneurs I've spoken to who have reached millions and millions of dollars and it's the right. – it's the giving, it's the sharing, it's the connection is where they get the true joy. Exactly. When it's
1: something bigger than you. And yeah. I think in Billions, I think he's secretly in love with Wendy, but you know, oh, we all not, know that. <laughs> right. I mean, so he's like, you know, he's got divorce, oh, he yeah. doesn't see his kids a lot. Like Wendy's got another man kind of, you know, I mean yep. like, yep. anyhow, yep. but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but it is these human connections and I'll be very, very candid, Bendy. Uh, even during this time, I have reflected within myself of what are the things that are important to me. And I realized that it really, it comes down to relationships. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's one of the reasons I, I even left Washington for just this small period of time to be with my family. I live in a very small apartment near the White House. Mm-hmm. Uh, protests were starting to happen oh, yeah. uh, in the streets of Washington and there were uh, helicopters flying so low to my house. I mm. couldn't do any audio recordings for anything, uh, but it was also a very frightening time because yeah. we had national guard and special forces on our streets and uh, t- tanks on our streets. And I I photographed actually what was going on in Washington. And I, I wrote a medium article. i, I write a few medium articles. So if you get a chance to check out medium, I'm, I'm writing on there. And, I use the photography and and words to describe this moment in time in uh what in Washington DC and in our country and protests need to happen legislation needs to happen and and so many things need to happen but being in this historical moment it it felt surreal because here we're facing in the United States two pandemics mm. we are facing huge racial injustice mm. that we have seen for hundreds of years and we are also facing COVID-19, another health pandemic. Mm. And how we decide to handle these two things and how we decide to move forward is going to determine how we are as a country. And, and that's one of the reasons I, after was in Washington for that week and then flew down to Atlanta, I realized that I hadn't seen my family in so long. I don't know what's going to happen in the next few months. With my parents with my my sister with my niece uh and even the world that relationships that's what ma- that's what's life is made up of and I knew it was important to come down here and and be with them just for even a, a few weeks right
0: just for even a month yeah I think that's probably the best decision you've made um <laughs> yeah. really um I know I know um I, uh, through the pandemic, I was actually um, helping my parents get supplies. Um, They they don't live near me, so we were trying to connect and it was so hard whenever we'd see each other, we couldn't hug or touch each other and it was just like, here's your food, off you go. (laughs) Um, So, you know, I, I totally know what you're going through. And now I think that's completely changed our relationships as a family. Like we're a lot closer and we understand how important that is. So if that's a blessing from COVID, then we'll take that.
1: Yeah, we should take the blessings where we can. Oh yeah, oh yes, we should. <laughs> and take 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 the good things when we can, because there's so many challenges uh, we're facing as different nations and individuals right now. Uh, that it's seizing the small moments, mm. and even if it's just for a moment of happiness, or a moment of joy, or a moment of friendship, or camaraderie, or family, or love, um, and just take that moment for what it is. Because right
0: now, you never know which moment's going to come next. That's right. Oh, 2020's at all, isn't it? Oh, gosh, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> Now, Susan, I've got the big question for you. And uh, I can't wait to see what your answer is. What's the change you'd like to see in the world and how can we bring it to life? The change I want
1: to see in the world is gender parity in all forms, in workplace culture, in leadership, in pay, in who is raising children, uh, how society sees both gender and diversity. I believe that each country, no matter who's listening to this, no matter where you're from, we have faced different histories where we have Conquered land, conquered people. And we have not allowed space for voices that are different and that have different opinions. And so when I talk about this idea of seeing gender parity at all levels of our world and society, that's what I mean it as. And I believe that each of us has an opportunity and an obligation to lift up voices that are different than our own. And so that means when you're talking to a neighbor that has a different political opinion, to not shout at them because they don't believe the thing that that you believe, but to listen Mm. and to hear them. You're not going to probably change their opinion, but you can listen and hear them. And maybe by giving them that grace, they will listen and hear you. Mm. We each have a unique space when we're, especially in the workplace, that we can echo other people's ideas to uplift them When you're sitting around the room, especially at a board table, now maybe your virtual Zoom board table, and you look around and the faces that you see and the voices that you hear, if they are only from one lens, if there is not a level of different diversity, whether it be race, culture, religion, gender, socioeconomic status, however you see diversity, if you don't see that around the table, do something about it. Mm. Ask where those people are. The first step is noticing. And then bring other people there. Now it's not the time for sharp elbows to elbow other people out. Now is the time to embrace people, to take your elbows in and allow them space to get in there. Six feet apart, social distance. I mean, <laughs> don't get too close. But uh, now is the time. And that's what I, the change that I want to see. And I'm going to do whatever I can do, whether it's sharing different people's ideas on LinkedIn that are voices that are different than mine listening to different people that have different political, social, cultural ideas than I do, hearing them, sharing resources with friends and family so they see through different lenses and not just their own. And each of us can do that. Each of us can have these difficult conversations and now is the time to do it. There's no better time but today.
0: Ugh. Amen. (laughs) that was incredible. Um, I especially love uh, your bit about um, listening to someone else's opinion, even if you don't agree with it, Um, particularly in a political view. Um, I think, um, you know, we're all um, too quick to jump on others when we don't have the same beliefs. Um, And I think that that's the kind of stuff that starts wars. So, um, yeah. It does. I completely agree with you.
1: Yeah. Listening to others. I think there's this power in listening. And I, I learned this through writing the book and even a little bit before that in work of diplomacy and diplomacy, you're constantly listening, mm-hmm. right? You usually don't say your piece until the very, very end of a conversation. You want to get the other person to say as much as possible and get as much information out mm-hmm. before you have to state your position and make your ask. So listening has been a part of my skill set uh, in Washington, DC that I use typically every single day. But what I realized how it translated is that, uh, you know, Washington, D.C. is a very political town. It's our nation's capital, the United States. Uh, You're there for a reason. Yeah. And I have colleagues and friends and contacts who are part of different political parties and have very different beliefs. And sometimes I am at a dinner party or a cocktail party and someone will say something and seeing people's reactions always fascinates me. Yeah. And the thing is, when you start, when you don't give a reaction and you just start to listen, you'll find out why people think something, and their point of view. And if you take out the emotion of immediate anger mm. or disgust, uh, you're actually able to learn something yourself. And there's been times that I'm like, oh, you know, I would never have thought about that that way. Uh, that, that is fascinating. Now, I may not agree, but my job is not to agree. My job is to listen. Mm-hmm. And, and each of us can do that and I know it's challenging the political situation. trust me in America it's challenging here right now. Uh, but I I still try to listen and uh, I, d- I do believe that you are able to get somewhere in the middle of maybe moderation uh, between two sides. if each side is willing to listen and give a little bit, uh, I do think we need to give a little bit more uh, on each when you' have differing opinions. That ability to beat somebody somewhere in the middle only comes from listening first.
0: Yeah, and you know what? It's actually um a, a real habit of mine. Um, whenever I have to go into a meeting, um I just listen, and people are like, "Well, oh, you're going to speak up, you're going to say something." Well, I was just waiting for everybody to, you know, have their piece, <laughs> and then I'll give mine. Um, it's it's always a habit of mine is I'll absorb, and then I'll come back. Um, so yeah, listening is so so important. It's a strong skill set. And leaders who listen actually get more information out of their
1: teams Mm. than giving their opinion first. And you're able to foster more creativity when you do that. Many of the ambassadors I spoke with and foreign ministers and government officials said that's a tool that they use constantly with their teams. So they brainstorm differently. And men and women do this differently. I mean, in Washington, D.C., many of the women that I interviewed who are from different countries mentioned that men colleagues in their field tend to throw out their idea first and say, this is how we're going to do it. And we are going to go this way, (laughs) follow me. Uh, That really stifles creativity. It stifles collaboration and cooperation. Mm. Uh, And so teams function better, one, under the leadership of women usually, but two, with with this idea of openness and listening. Mm. And women bring that to the table. Uh, They do. And, And each of us can learn from that.
0: Oh, and women are such great collaborators, aren't they? Here, here! Yes, <laughs> look at us now. <laughs> yes. <laughs> On that note, I have to thank you, Susan, uh, for being a part of the Ethical Evolution.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Bendy. It's been a pleasure.
0: Thanks for listening to the Ethical Evolution podcast. If you're an ethical business owner, change maker, or holistic healer who's determined to make a change in the world and you need support to spread your message, visit ethicalchangeagency.com to collaborate. Miles, are you ready to record our promo for Season 2 of the Wanna Bet podcast? David, have you ever seen a grown man naked? Miles, we're not here to quote lines from Airplane. We're here to tell people that Season 2 starts August 18th. But I like Airplane. I know you do, but one to Bet is a sports betting podcast. Each week, we bet $1,000 on the NFL teams and games that we love. Well, that sounds like fun. It is fun. And last year, you picked over 60% of your games correctly. How'd you do? We're not talking about that. We are telling people that they can find us every Friday. So no more movie quotes.
1: Roger, Roger. Electric acid. Have you ever wondered what actually happens in Congress every day? again.